What's up, everyone? My next guest is Claudia Trejas. Claudia Trejas is a leading woman in the sports industry as a reporter, analyst, and commentator for The Zone, ESPN, ESPN International, ESPN Radio, and Unanimo Deportes. With over 25 years in the industry, Ms. Trejas is an accomplished and authentic sports personality, journalist, and role model for all women and minorities. Enjoy the show, everybody. Claudia Trejas, how's it going? Doing very well. It's easy. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm actually so excited that you agreed to join my, my podcast because you're such a high-profile guest. And uh, I don't know, I'm so pumped. I, I woke up at 7 a.m. today. I started working out, had some coffee, <laughs> put some music. I was like, ah, I started pacing around, like thinking about what we should talk about. And, you know, it's just like this general excitement about about this whole thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm super happy and so honored that you decided to that you decided to just basically give me that hour of your of your time and, and, and just talk about your life. And uh, I'm, I'm really flattered. Looking. I'm flattered. I'm flattered. Since the day I met you back in the day, in Madison Square Garden, I figured this kid's going places. <laughs> wow, that's that's such a nice thing to say. Thank you so much. So, um, Claudia, um, talk to me a little bit about yourself because I saw the first time I saw you was uh, on the Zone. You know, I downloaded the app and you know started watching the fights, and I saw that you were interviewing the fighters. You were, you know, you're just going. You, how do you say it? Like during, in between the fights, you're you're interviewing and you're giving your comment commentary as well. And I was like, wow, who is this lady? She's she has so much energy, and I was so surprised because it looked like you have, like you handled it so well, like so professionally, like so great. But I'd never seen you before, and and that's why I started, you know to be like, wow, like started looking you up and, and I, I, had, I had a chance to work with you in June as well. So I just wanted to ask you about that. Well, that's a, that's, that's a very deep and interesting question. And it's how much time do we have? We have all the time. Um, <laughs> so the reason why you hadn't seen me is because most of my career has been in the Hispanic media. Uh, but I did the transition to the, what we call the general market or Anglo Back in 1998, when I went from Hispanic Independent Network, which was KWHY, was part of later on Telemundo, when I became part of KTLA. Back in the day, it was not cool to be Hispanic. Uh, at least of all, Hispanic speaking English, it was almost unacceptable. Uh, so, so that transition proved to be uh, character building. Needless to say, uh, you, you learn a lot about yourself. And you learn about uh, the role that you play in the society. And as time progressed, and uh, I then later on became part of Network Telemundo, again in mm -hmm. Spanish, then I transitioned into ESPN, which opened the other door to work for both networks, English and Spanish. And um, later then I launched, I was part of the team that launched um, UDN, which is the 24-hour uh, sports network for Univision. And then uh, I became part of ESPN again. Like I've had a, I've had a relationship with everybody. Right. But your generation, uh, which of course is more related to the digital platform, mm -hmm. uh, gets to see me for the first time on the zone. Why? Because it's digital and it goes across the world and it, it, you know, it hits a completely different demographics. It's from 18 to 35. And I've been in the business for 30 years. So most of uh, your generation um, has never seen me because uh, platforms, that's it. The difference in, and I've been blessed enough that I've had a chance to go from regular uh, standard TV to HD to uh, radio 
and now to uh, digital. Right, and I just want to clarify, I, I don't think like people my generation haven't seen you. I think it's just me personally because I don't speak Spanish and that's, that's why I haven't seen you, but I saw the videos <laughs> on YouTube of you like on, on ESPN and Deportes and Univision and it has so many, so many views. So, I mean, obviously you're famous, it's it's just like I you know if if I could speak Spanish as fluently that that would probably wouldn't be the problem for me, but uh, but yeah, how did you know that you would like to be in uh, in the media? Was it more of like do you th have you how how did you try this first? So like do you decide I'd like to be on the radio or I'd like to be on TV? Uh, was it sort of like a a weird coincidence that you became in the media? How did that happen? Very much a weird coincidence. Uh, back in 1990, when I first landed in Los Angeles, I had a completely different plan. I was hoping to make it into medical school and become a doctor. Uh -huh. And as time progressed, you know, I had to make a living. So I was offered an opportunity to work as a, as a grip. At the time, it was called Prime Ticket, a very small network that mm -hmm. as time progressed, it became what we all know now as Fox. What is a grip? Grip. Oh, well, a grip is that one person that's behind the cameraman uh -huh. carrying the cables oh, wow. uh, okay. because you don't want them to trip. So I was usually that person dressed in black uh -huh. behind the cameraman, you know, making sure the cables are rolled. And we usually take care of, um, you know, there's a setup for live events. You got to make sure the cameras are white balanced, the pedestals are nice and sturdy. So, you know, when a cameraman is operating them, they're not going like, what is going on? So you so started your did. career as holding a cable behind the cameraman. Yes. That's, that's crazy. That's how I started. Back <laughs> in the day when the forum wow. was like the place to go, Lakers were still playing at the forum, the Kings right. were still playing at the forum, and we had something called Wednesday Night Fights. Uh -huh. So, and that's how I got acquainted. I always loved boxing. So mm -hmm. for me, it was a great opportunity because I had a real job in the mornings, then in the afternoons I would go to school, then at night, I would be working on TV, but I was, you know, watching Laker games. Then I would go to Chavez Ravine and do the Dodger games. And then I would be at the forum watching the Lakers and the Kings. I mean, how bad can life be? Yeah. So slowly but surely, uh, Prime Ticket became Prime Sports. They launched the Hispanic division and they needed people that spoke Spanish in order to create, you know, the graphics and so on. So that's what I started doing, doing graphics. And then slowly but surely, I, I became an editor and a producer. And by 1995, somewhere around there, uh, I was producing. My talent didn't show up. So I literally had to take over. for. It was just a three-minute hit, you know, in a halftime during a soccer game. And so, that was so, the beginning of so the end. Tell, tell me about that first time, that three-minute three hit. How was three that? Three-minute hit. It was, it was really funny because... Um, you, you, you never think, at least I never thought this was going to be a lifetime thing. This is, it has to get done. Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to do it. Who's going to do it? And my boss said, don't you have a jacket or something? I said, no. I had already written it, edited it, produced it. I, I knew what was going on. He said, who better than you? I have no time. Just grab a jacket. He, I, I talked to his assistant, beautiful lady, Suki. And Suki just slapped a little bit of makeup so I wouldn't look as bland as I usually do. And uh, I did it, you know, all I, and literally all I had to do was what we call wraparounds, basically uh -huh. an intro, throw to highlight, do the highlight, go, go back to me. So it was just a wraparound for three minutes and then do highlights of other games around La Liga and then throw it back to the anchors. 
And then I was back to my production seat. I mean, it was. Were you were you worried? Were you were you heart pumping? Because I mean, that's I don't know. I feel like I would be freaking out if someone put me on the spot on camera and tell me like you do the job, or because you already been there, like you know what was happening. It wasn't this. Uh, There's a saying: ignorance is bliss. Uh I was totally ignorant of the impact. Uh I was oblivious to what it meant. It wasn't until years later that I said, "Wow, that's what that was." But in the meantime, I had no idea. I had, I, I had a mission in my, in my head. I had to get it done. It had to be done because as a producer, you know, be it that it goes fantastic, the talent did a great job. But if mm-hmm. something falls through the crack, the producer doesn't know what they're doing. And mm-hmm. at that point in time, I had already spent all morning cutting highlights, you know, writing down notes that there was no way my work was not going to be on air. So mm-hmm. I was just part, the, whoever was presenting it was not the issue. Got it needed it. to be presented. So I didn't think about that until later, mm-hmm. until somebody said, so you didn't do it half bad. How would you like to? And I literally sat there thinking, oh, no, you're not. This is not my job. This is not what I do. I'm a medical student. I, I'm going to be a doctor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and one thing led to another. 30 years later, here we are wow. talking about my career <laughs> as, a, as a sports anchor, commentator, host, whatever you want to call it. Do you still have that recording of your first time? The three minute uh, episode? <laughs> oh my God, no. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> that, that, no. I don't, I, I have this thing. I don't look at myself. Okay. I don't listen to myself. So really? I know I have recordings, very old recordings. They're on like three quarters, which is a format that I hope and pray you've never had to deal with. Uh, we, we would edit tape to tape, quarter of an inch. I did half inch. I did, uh, I mean, I've gone back. So no, I hope not. Plus it would be <laughs> detrimental to my health to see the quality of my job and then the quality of the video. Oh, it'd be horrendous. No. <laughs> it's so, it's so weird to see videos like prior to 2012, you know, well, the whole HD like took over 2011. Before that, it's just like, oh my God, did we really spend all much time living and watching this sort of quality TV where it's just not HD and it just ultimately looks like it's 70s or something? Well, yeah, it was. I mean, uh, and that's why I, I, like I said, I feel so blessed because I've, I've seen, I've gone real to real. I've edited real to real. And then from editing that going to nonlinear, it was just phenomenal as a producer. I'm like, Oh my God, this is great. There's no crash edit. We don't have to pre black. We don't have to do anything. Like I, the, my office literally is my laptop. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so funny because like you, you know, I would look at you on TV, right. And I would think like, Oh, like, you know, she is a reporter. She reports and, uh, you know, commentates and all of that. But it's so funny because, and it's not the first time I'm experiencing that with other people, but there's so much technical knowledge behind that and that you possess as well. And that you are sort of, you need to decide on that and you need to sort of be a tech at the same time as you are just, you know, a personality, a talent on TV. And I feel like not a lot of people know about that. Well, uh, you want to make sure that people don't know that. Oh yeah. Because yeah, because I think the the magic of TV is to make it look simple. If mm. people were to understand what all goes into a TV production, the mm-hmm. magic would be lost. And the mm-hmm. truth is, um, that crew that's behind any person, any event, is so good. Yeah. They make it look so easy. 
People think, oh, they just turn the lights and the show goes on. That is fantastic. That's 90% of the magic. Mm -hmm. So the easier it looks, the better the job it is. The better the job has been done. Yeah. That's awesome. So, that, that totally makes sense. Yes. And so at what point do you like, all right, you know, I'm just going to, did you drop out from school, by the way, or did you finish it? Oh, yeah. No, no. I dropped out. <laughs> you dropped it. So at what point you're like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to do TV from now on. How long did it take from your first time being on TV to, to where like, okay, this is going to be my career? The way I saw it as my career, it took about four years. Uh -huh. I, I always took it as a, as a part-time job. But in the meantime, there was a crucial point in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know, I'm Colombian, born and raised. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah, born and raised in Cali, Colombia. And uh, unfortunately, my mother was mm -hmm. uh my mother and my dad were helping me out to go to school and mm -hmm. support myself and obviously i supported as much as i could mm -hmm. but as a student you know the expenses are outrageous oh, yeah. yeah i went to school and in the in california as well i know how expensive it is it's very very expensive and um so in 1997 my mom was kidnapped so oh, wow. at that point in time the family's finances went down the drain Mm -hmm. And uh, due to the risky situation that we were living back home, my sister was living with me and her son, my uh, nephew. So I had to make a decision. Either I let this boat sink or I put my bigger panties on and I move on. Now, becoming a doctor was always a dream, but it was just that. I had a reality that I had to deal with right then and there, and it was to support my sister and my nephew, support myself. And I was given an opportunity to make decent living, mm -hmm. doing something that came easy to me, thank God, or that the opportunity presented to me. So I had to make that decision, and mm -hmm. I did. And uh, I, I never looked back. I don't regret it. Now, do I read a lot of medical journals? Yes. Oh. Do I keep abreast with uh, a lot of the, uh, especially, you know, like in sports medicine? Yes. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's, it's, it's very interesting to me and it baffles me and my respects out to all those men and women that work so hard at keeping us healthy, especially in this moment with the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's a lifetime learning experience. But the one thing that I did learn throughout this process was that um, as much as I love it and as much as I, I, I you know, research it and stuff, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have a hard time dealing with other people's pain. I have a hard time uh, handling. Um, for example, I don't, I don't understand how the doctors and nurses work. Mm -hmm. uh it, 36 hours straight and, and they don't have they can't have a bad day at the office right it's it's first you're putting yourself at risk you're putting other people at risk and a mistake is somebody else's life so mm -hmm. god is very wise because i have very bad days at the office <laughs> mm -hmm. i take things to heart like all and, of us yeah yes so you know i i don't think i could have done that mm -hmm. for the rest of my life so god was wise he put me in a position that I had to make a decision and I did and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. That's, yeah, that's so true. And I mean, 
we we're not talking about that enough and and i know some some people in the medical industry as well who are nurses uh who are doctors and uh, they're going through a lot right now and one of my good friends she's a doctor she does med- medical uh, clinical trials right now for for the vaccine uh against the coronavirus and and she's basically does it pro bono and, and she is uh you know she's calling out upon other doctors to do their part as well so i feel like we're we're not even Yes, I see people are congratulating community, like the healthcare community, but I feel like it's not enough. And when all this hopefully settles, we really need to um, basically rethink everything and how we treat people. And uh, especially nurses at the, like not even nurses, but even even the people who are caring for older people. Yes. Uh, Because right now I feel like it's going to increase and it's going to put so much pressure uh, on everyone, especially because right now what I'm reading is what they will probably end up doing is to tell all the older folks to stay in, in to stay in their places in, in basically in their houses or in homes or, or whatever so that they're not at risk so that they're they're still can so that they're not exposed to anything and I feel like that mentally going to be very hard not just on the older folks but also on the people who are caring for them either there it's family or or any caring people as well I agree so, the caretakers caretakers in general um, well, I don't think we recognize how much work it takes, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, the type of investment that all the assistants, all the nurses, all the doctors, it, it, I am amazed at how, no matter how horrible the day was or is, they keep going. You know, right. those takers, uh, a lot of uh, our, you know, third age people, um, most probably have nowhere to go. That's another um, problem, yeah. Yes, and, and these are the people that put in that emotional investment. Uh, they come in to you know, replace that support, family support. So uh, you, you said something, this situation for however long it's going to go, either it helps us become human beings and understand and put our priorities straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not shading on anybody that's making a whole lot of money or that is in a, in a, in a better financial position, mm-hmm. but we definitely have to recognize uh, where our interests are going and where we're putting our attention and who are we really glorifying. And um, the kind of results that we're getting on those priorities. This is uh, literally equalizing the playing field for society in general, and not just me, in the U.S. It, yeah, that brings worldwide. Me, that brings me to uh, the videos that you have posted on your YouTube channel, where you basically talk about reset. And uh, I've listened to them, and I listened to the English one and the Spanish one as well, and which is pretty cool. You do this in two languages. That's how you know I started to. I started with, in Russian first, and then I'm doing this podcast in English. But in any case, you were <laughs> thanks. Uh, you were saying something basically about staying in the moment, basically appreciating, uh, you know, the moment itself, living in the moment. That that's how you mm-hmm. you said it. And I was just you know, if, can you elaborate on that because you you you, pro- you were providing an example of you know spending time with with your family and just really appreciating those uh, those moments. Yes. Um, there's there's. Uh, have you ever seen Kung Fu Panda? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the sage. It's fantastic. So do you remember? Um, Obviously, it's not originally from the movie, but it was implemented there to show kids. And I think 
nowadays those animated movies are more for adults than for children. Yeah. So when when the master is teaching Kung Fu Panda, that he says the past is gone, the future is uncertain, the present is a gift. It is so very true because yesterday doesn't exist. Tomorrow will not exist because by the time you get to tomorrow is already today, right. right now. So really, the only certainty we have right now is this conversation. And if I don't appreciate this time, it's going to be long gone. It, it's just as simple as that, really. So whatever argument where you have, whatever good moment you have, whatever painful moment you have, um, you, you're meant to live that as is. Don't try to fix it. Don't regret it. Don't begrudge it. Whatever you're experiencing right now is a lesson to be learned. And this is why. Whatever pain you have is to teach you something about yourself. Whatever happiness you have is meant to be shared. It's that simple. Whatever pain that you've come through in your own self, because nobody will instill the pain in you. The pain comes from within you. So that's going to help you heal whatever is inside you. So don't begrudge that moment. Just allow it to sit, allow it to be, and grow. That's why it's very important in this pandemic. There's a very important lesson that I've learned, and God knows at 51, you wonder how many more lessons do I have to go, and I assume that there's many more. I hope so. Uh, patience. Um, so I was having a conversation with a very spiritual person and I said, mm -hmm. dude, really? Like, I asked for patience because this confinement really rubs people in so many ways, good ways, bad ways. And I mm -hmm. said, I'm trying to be patient. And he said something very important. You are given the opportunity to exercise your patience. How do you like them apples? Yeah. I mean, that's something that, and you know how you sort of, that's the thing that I feel like everyone should really focus on is that you, when you're hearing something like this, you're like, yeah, living in the moment. Like people say this a lot, like, but at the same time, you know, now it's time to reflect because we don't have anything else to do. We have to live in the moment and, you know, we have to appreciate the little things, you know, like right now, you know, the fact that I can talk to you, you know, the, and, and, you know, with, with people around the world and around the United States, that's, that's just such a blessing as well. You know, the fact that, you know, we can just be with our families or the fact that, you know, some, some people are really suffering right now, but some people are not. Yes. And, and hopefully you are one of those who, who is not suffering and your family is not suffering. So it's what I said in my previous podcast, just call everyone uh, that you feel who are close to you, your family, especially, and especially your friends and, and just talk to them. And you'd be surprised because some of them would be super happy that you called because maybe they don't have enough courage to do the call. They don't want to be, you know how our generation right now, they don't want to be sound weird. They don't want to be weird. They don't want to be noisy. But if you have that courage to just, hey, like text or call and say, hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, you know, how's that pandemic for you? you know, and, and that's just going to be, it's, it's just going to be a nice feeling, you know, for, for, both, of, uh, for, both, for both of us as well. Yes. But, that, but, but it's something... I <laughs> I, I totally agree. And I applaud the fact that you're willing to uh, recognize courage. For some reason, we've gotten to a point where we're so afraid to just be you and yeah. reach out. Yeah. And, uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, for me, it's always been a problem to, to live in the moment. I would always think about the future, always. Because, you know, as you said, future was so uncertain. And I'm the kind of guy who, who needs to know the future to, so that 
I can control it, you know, so that I can, so it can be like ah. in my control. And because I don't know what the future is, especially if I'm, I'm on the verge of some sort of a move, uh, that's where I'm always freaking out. And I want to make sure that, you know, it's just like my thoughts are occupied with that and I'm not happy and I'm not being in the moment, you know, and I'm not appreciating what I have so far. But what, you know, the funniest part is then I look back and I was like, damn, I had such a good life. You know, I, I was living in like, in such a good place and I had all these people around me and I, all, all, I, all I done is thinking about the future. So it's definitely something to consider right now to seriously think about. Well, let's start with the fact that control is an illusion. There is no such thing as control. We're living it right now. True. True. Uh, so, so, but I can understand because uh, not just you in general, we are taught from a very young age, you got to go to school because you got to have a good career and you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do that. I understand that. That's how we were raised. Mm -hmm. And in your case, very typical with your accounting business, with who you are, the, the way your brain works. But that's one of the most important lessons. The truth is control is an illusion. You can control. The only thing you can control is your mind and your thoughts. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's as difficult as either waking up in the morning, which is, thank God, in our case, very easy. We just open our eyes and we were awake. Or as complicated as quantum physics. Yeah. Meaning, it depends on how deep you want to go into it. Mm -hmm. And I love this sentence. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. It's true. As, as, as it's as simple as that. It is what it is. And you take it as it is. And the reason why I can relate to you in so many ways is because I was raised thinking you have to go to school, you have to get a good career because you have to make a good living because you have to study something that's going to support you for the rest of your life. And in that road, I had so many detours that now I am blessed that I had all those turns and I made a lot of left turns. I could be making a left turn right now, mm -hmm. but it is what it is. And uh, I am, I am now at a point where I, I allow myself to live the moment, but it's exercise again. It's okay. Hold on a second. Why am I thinking about something that's going to happen in a month from now? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't even know what's going to happen a month from now. I remember people telling me, Oh, this is going to blow over the pandemic two weeks. And we're going right. to really, we're in April now. And this started back in November. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying, you know, the lockdown is going to be until the end of May and who knows what's going to happen then. So again, control is just an illusion. And the mm -hmm. only thing we can do is hope and pray that we can wake up, open our eyes and say, hey, good morning. Yeah, absolutely. And be thankful for it. Absolutely. And that's, that's what I'm hearing lately is that more and more people are paying attention to things like relaxation, mindfulness and meditation. Um, do you meditate, by the way? Yes. Every morning. How do you meditate? Because here's what I think about meditation, right? Well, like the stereotype, you, you need to sit in the lotus position and close your eyes and hum something and just like make sure that, you, <laughs> make sure that your mind is closed. But then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to look into it and I'm, looking, I'm, I'm listening to other people who are uh, basically, you know, business people, very stressful jobs. They're like, no, meditation is not, um, it's not necessarily you sitting down and, 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 you know, trying to not think about them, something. Uh, I think I just listen to audiobook by Bob Iger. He is the CEO of Disney. And he said that... Oh, he, I know Bob Iger. You know him personally? Well, of course, he's my ESPN. boss. Right, yes. right. 
Oh, that's that's so cool. Yeah, just read his book. Super cool, super inspiring. And and he basically he said that he meditates. Uh, I don't know word for word. So, but he said like when he's at the gym and he's running, that's when his thoughts are free. Like that's his like it's his own personal time, and for his mind, it's his personal space when he's not occupied with all the outside thoughts. Well, I'm not as as uh, transcendental as that. Um, but this is this my philosophy might be a little basic. Because I'm not like the deepest person into uh, meditation. Mm-hmm. But the way I see it is we exercise our body on a regular basis. We go to school. We, we keep abreast of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have resting periods. We sleep. We drink. We eat. We, we, we give our bodies and our muscles rest periods. If you think about it, your brain never stops. Not even when you're sleeping. So... I only, I do it for about 15 minutes every morning and I literally, my exercise is to put my brain or my thoughts in zero, neutral, Mm -hmm. and just allow thoughts to come in and go out without analyzing them Mm -hmm. until I can just focus on something just for a couple of seconds, couple of minutes, because I'm not that, I'm not that adept at it, Mm -hmm. but it gives me clarity. It allows me to have that me, there's nothing else, just breathing. And um, I do guided meditations and then literally I just go through YouTube mm-hmm. and I just pick whatever I feel like I want to do that morning. Oh, okay, just press um, play and then just follow the, whatever the guidance they give you. Exactly, uh, cool. I, every night I do another one which is a five minute meditation, uh-huh. which is by Wayne Dyer and it's a gratitude. Um, and, and mindfulness uh, meditation, but it's mm-hmm. five minutes. That's all mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, in many ways, uh, religion has allowed you to do that by the repetitive uh, sense and rhythm that goes with, for example, the rosary for the Catholics, where mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that goes, but it, it, it's like you focus so much on the prayer mm-hmm. that you, your mind just goes to a completely different place and just shuts down whatever worries, mm-hmm. whatever concerns you have, you focus mm-hmm. on that. So that's literally, you know, like the hum sum, which is what you're talking about, um, which is used by uh, Deepak Chopra on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. It, 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 what it does for me in my very humble, ignorant point of view, it just allows my brain to ease. And, and, and stop the flow of thoughts. There's, there's an interesting theory that thoughts are energy. And I find that to be true. So mm-hmm. the more energy you put into your thoughts, the more you materialize those thoughts. So in order to rewind the tape and just allow you to be right here for that very small space of moment is, is just that mm-hmm. five minutes worth of meditation. Right. And, and I think they, they also call it like when you're trying to uh, materialize your th- thoughts. So it's materialization or visualization, right? S- something yes. along, along those lines. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. <sighs> yeah, I feel like that's what we're going to do soon. Because I, otherwise, I don't think how the world can handle uh, the, whole, the whole pandemic crisis. Because, uh, I don't know, more and more, the more time we sit at home, the more time we need to like, figure out how to live with ourselves. Yes, you just said it. Because it's the most important lesson. You have to learn to live with yourself because nothing else is sure. Just your existence. That's the only thing 
you are sure of from the day you're born. Oh, that in taxes, but you know that because you're an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the tax man. <laughs> so let's go back to your career for a second. And I just, yes. because you, you know, once, so we, we kind of stopped where you, you became like a full-time employee. Uh, it's kinda, it became your full-time job, but then, you know, you, you've achieved more and more success. You were on TV, you were on ESPN and Univision. And as you said, you were jumping like from one network to another, which is amazing. I feel like that's such an exciting, you know, thing. Like, I feel like your, your life has so many interesting stories, but I mean, for this particular podcast, we can only hear one. Uh, but I was just wondering, but at the same time, you are in the sports industry and you have like a lot of, a lot of attention was paid to combat sports, to boxing. And I, I know for a fact that, you know, boxing is a very male dominated sport. And I was just wondering, like for you as a woman, how, how was that? Because I'm, I'm assuming it was, it's still, you, you experienced some pressure just by being a female in the industry. Uh, but can you expand a little bit on that? And what was your experience? What is your experience? My experience has been interesting with many ups, many lows, many highs, many sad moments. Um, but I think what kept me going uh, from day one is the fact that I love what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. And it didn't matter, you know, from the criticism to the uh, prejudice to the male chauvinist, misogynist attitude that I sometimes encounter. Um, there's one thing that I do have and that I, I make effort um, on a regular basis is be kind and not take it personal. Uh, I can't say that I've never burst out in like rage, but then I have to reel it back because it's counterproductive. Uh, many times I've been labeled as either somebody taught me or my dad used to tell me, or I have a mm -hmm. boyfriend that teaches me about boxing mm -hmm. or I slept my way through boxing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, everything that comes with being a woman in the world of sports, in the world of TV. And the only way for me to overcome that was understanding that I do what I do aware and with the highest integrity. I, I do my work. I love what I do. I put my heart and soul in what I do. I do my research like any other professional, be a male or female. And then I try to bring that forth to our audience. Now, whatever you decide to think that uh, will you know, label me, there's nothing I could do about it. And I've had a lot of labels. Can I control that? Going back to the initial, you know, our initial statement, I can't control that. Mm -hmm. But I am sure that if that person takes uh, five minutes away from the prejudice and the, and the labels and mm -hmm. allows me to talk to them or mm -hmm. they allow themselves to listen to me, um, they will come around to say, well, I don't agree with her, but Mm -hmm. she, she knows what she's talking about. She knows or her stuff, yeah. She knows her stuff. Uh, but again, um, it, it's been an interesting road, especially because I'm only 5'3 on a good day. I am Hispanic. I do speak English with an accent. Mm -hmm. So unless you get over all those labels, you will not listen to me. So yeah, it's, all it's, I can it's do, a lot. It's a lot. So all I can do is be consistent in what I do. Every mm -hmm. day I show up, with the same enthusiasm, with the same motivation. I love, I love doing what I do. I love the fighters. I also do the NBA. I've done, mm -hmm. I've done everything. I've done NASCAR. I've, I've done the Olympics. 
have done Pan Am Games, and mm -hmm. I have the utmost respect for people in general. And mm -hmm. I and I think that um, the minute that we understand that athletes are human, and that they uh, they have good days and bad days at the office, like anybody, that's my mm -hmm. job to show these superhuman people that are out there with phenomenal mm -hmm. attributes and talent and bring them down to our audience and make them understand, you know, bridge the gap. That's what right. I do. And I feel that boxers in general have uh, a bad label across the board. Mm -hmm. And um, th the sport itself has really bad backgrounds and, and, and prejudice, obviously. Mm -hmm. So my intent is to show the human side of, all these people that we see out there, be it in a, in a basketball court, be it in a ring, be it in a football field, but I, that's my job. And I do it with the utmost love and respect. And that's, that's great. And, and, and really, it just shows you so much how, how many hoops do female reporters or professionals in this industry needs to jump through to actually be taken seriously in comparison to men. And I mean, that's just ridiculous. And I feel like I don't know. Do you think the situation is improving right now with the whole, uh, with the Me Too movement and just the realization and the, the second wave of uh, feminism? Do you think it's easier for, for women to, uh, to advance in this career or is still, I see you're, I see you're shaking your head. So. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's more of us that are paving. We're working mm -hmm. really hard at paving uh, the way for the younger generation, but the younger generation is facing exactly the same uh, obstacles and limitations mm -hmm. um i think as long as we have uh as long as we still uh refer to our society as male dominated society mm -hmm. uh as long as we keep thinking of a ceo as a male mm -hmm. um and and it's all it's almost like some subconsciously mm -hmm. uh the way our society moves. I don't think they, I don't think anybody moves in, in that direction aware of it. Uh, because I think you ask anybody, uh, who their favorite person in their lives are and everybody will say my mom mm -hmm. in one way or another, because we support, because we're friends, because we, uh, we're breadwinners. We fit in so many different pigeonholes, if you want to call them in so many, positions but for some reason we still define society as male dominated right. i would like to think that we're moving towards a human dominated where we're still looking for the kindness in humanity mm -hmm. and we deviate and walk away from the gender difference i mean we at, nowadays when we have we recognize uh that gender is really a very personal, very intimate thing. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be uh, talking about presidents as he, because we are giving a gender to a position that could be covered by male or female. So it, it's, it's a, it's, I mean, it, it goes so deep, so deep, so deep. And it's so deeply ingrained in our society that are we making strides? Yes. Has it been easier? Maybe just a tad. Will it be easier? Eventually. I'm not going to say uh, my generation is going to reap the benefits of that. No, but are we looking forward to a new generation that will come and be just judged on their abilities and their know-hows and um, expertise and work ethic? I'm looking forward to that. 
That's true. And, and honestly, I, I think this is great that such great uh, professional women like you, women professionals, are on TV. I, I, I would like to believe that, they, that you are an example to maybe some young girl who wants to be on TV as well, who wants to be a professional. And she sees you, you know, doing your job, doing it so outstandingly, knowing your stuff, as you said. It's, it's just, uh, I think that's a great example and you can be a, a, a great lead for that, a mentor, I would say. I would hope so. I'm starting with my daughter and God knows that has been a challenge. But I, and, and moreover, um, in order for there to be that uh, synergy between mentor and mentee, um, the mentee or the student has to be ready for the professor to show up. And more and more, I see uh, young ladies understanding that this is an opportunity too. They can do it too because for many years, Women did not see this as a possibility. Mm -hmm. So at least if, if the biggest stride is the fact that, like you said, there's more and more ladies going into communications and journalism and, you know, the platforms, different platforms, social media that see sports as, you know, I like sports. I like it too. And I understand it and I'm willing to impart my own opinion and knowledge, but it's looked upon as a possibility. Whereas years ago, mm -hmm what no way yeah. no way exactly that's great well let's talk about uh your uh your current basically let's talk about the zone because right now we all see you on the zone so many so much and uh it's something that was a, a sort of a transition for you as well well first of all it is now sort of an english-speaking uh medium for you was, yes. was, is that because I was I was doing some research and you know I was trying to find some videos prior where you would speak English and I you only were on the Spanish speaking media and is that is the zone your first uh, English speaking job? No, the zone is not my first speaking English speaking job. Back in nineteen, which, which, which sounds kind of weird. I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't phrase it well. Well, <laughs> that's okay. I understood. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my first English speaking gig was back in 1998 at KTLA. I was the weekend sports anchor. Uh -huh. And then, um, as I went to, um, uh, ESPN, uh, they would allow me to do English reports, you know, uh -huh. here and there. And then, um, where else? Well, as I worked with Telemundo because Telemundo and NBC are one, I would translate for Telemundo for NBC covering mm -hmm. the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um what else i've done first take in english i've done a few sports centers in english you, you know and uh but this would be the one position after ktla that requires me to only speak english which is uh -huh. funny it's 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 very um complicated especially when we have the uh, translations from spanish to english because yeah. as you know i most fighters and trainers and promoters and they know me mm -hmm. and they know what I've been doing for the last 30 years. <laughs> so they find it so odd that I have a translator. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen you. Yeah. Sometimes you, you would actually just translate for, for them yourself while you're asking them questions. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, but the zone, uh, allows me to just keep my position as a reporter and not be the translator, the right. translator which thank you to zone. <laughs> not, but it's not a burden to me, but right. it's very bizarre for me because I've done it back and forth for years. 
like I've, you know, formulated the question in English, then I translate it, then I translate back. But I understand that time consuming. I mean, there's so much production behind it that obviously they would, they feel more comfortable having somebody just doing it right then and there off mm -hmm. mic. Uh, like you do it for me all the time. Um, <laughs> but, but that was difficult. That was really difficult because a lot of times uh, what, we use local translators mm -hmm. and perhaps they're not very well acquainted with uh, the boxing jargon. So yeah, that's the worst. <laughs> when the boxer, when the translators don't understand who, like, because in boxing, there's always a context. There's always the future and the past and like what's happening and what's currently happening. And then there's all these names. And uh, what I've been told personally is that if you're a translator and you don't know boxing, that's like the worst. Yes. Yes, it is. And, it, and I feel for these people. I feel for these very kind people that are put in a very precarious position because they're expected to not only know both languages, but also know the third language, which is boxing. Yeah. And, and, and I, it, it's not a regular translation. It is. It's mm -hmm. an interpretation, which is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, time is of the essence. So you, you're like, in my, in my head, I'm going like, I have two seconds to get this answer so I can get, you know, throw back to my anchors. Right. Uh, but this is the first time that I honestly have to be put in a position where uh, the, the Hispanic fighters, tra trainers and managers, they look at me like, what are you doing? Like, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Yes, it is what it is. But I, I, I relish the moment. I enjoy it. I, I thank all my producers, John Mack, uh, Matt Miller, that they, they're constantly hounding, no, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually, I was thinking about doing basically inviting a Russian speaker boxer on my podcast and trying to like curtail this content for English speaking audience. And I was thinking, how should I do this? Because I can translate at, at the same time. And I was thinking maybe I should ask them a question in Russian and then quickly ask the same thing in English so that the audience understands. And then they would reply back to me in English and I'll do subtitles. I don't know. I don't know if there's like a, a, a like a, a trick for that, how you do that, or you probably just need some, someone else. But I really want to, because I don't see people like me where they, they completely understand Russian and they actually can translate it really good as well so that I can actually provide a better content for an English speaking audience so that then, because that's what they, everyone wants. They want to understand more about what's going through the boxer's mind. Okay. I don't know. Well, what it, think? I think it's a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. The normal transition would be you asking the question in English, quickly answer, asking the question in, in Russian, mm -hmm. and then allowing him to answer. Don't translate the answer, subtitle it, and continue. Mm -hmm. If you have the opportunity to edit. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't, then you translate, but make it as brief as possible and make the interview short. Mm -hmm. If not, it's just going to be lost too much. in translation. It'd be too yeah. much. But it's a brilliant idea. Now, if you're going to edit it, then right. just ask your question in English mm -hmm. and go straight to his answer or her answer and uh -huh. subtitle it. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you think uh, like American audience or English speaking audience, they would watch an interview like this because like, maybe they don't want to like read the subtitles. I mean, if they actually, if they're a fan of boxing, so that they would probably, I just want to see if there's a demand for that, if they, if they would be interested. Of course. We want to know about Milikuziev and we want to know about uh, El Bulli and we want to know about all these 
extraordinary fighters. Yeah, there's Usyk, from... Lomachenko, you know, Madrimov, uh, there's Ahmed of Bivol, you know, uh-huh. a bunch of guys from Kazakhstan here in Canada. I mean, there's so many of them and they're on the verge of, be- of becoming really big. And I'm, I'm just thinking, gosh, it would be so cool to just talk to them and give them an opportunity to really talk. And they would trust me too, because I would actually ask them questions in Russian and they don't have to like, you know, talk to a reporter through a translator. And so... So how about if you can do this, then now I'm going to give you another production. So yes, just, have the, just have the conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And then off camera, without the interview, you, you formulate the questions in English and then you edit the answers. Right, right. So just have a conversation with them, just the way we're having a conversation right now. Uh-huh. And then you cut your questions out. You uh-huh. insert the English questions. Because you can okay. do them off camera. You just yeah. tape them separately. Yeah. And then you just subtitle it. I don't like the voiceover. A lot of people like the voiceover. Yeah. But there's a, there's in, from my standpoint, I like to hear the cadence mm-hmm. in people's voices. I like to hear the emotional tone. Mm-hmm. that comes when they speak. Mm-hmm. So subtitles for me allow me to see you and understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. But in general, the interviews that need to be translated need to be shorter. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that gives you double content because you can have the conversation and, and do a, a Russian distribution. Right. Or you can do the English version with your questions in English and the subtitles. Got it. Uh, I want to try that. I'm, I'm going to get in touch with some people and maybe we'll, we'll make this happen. Oh, I, you know what? I, I, uh, I love Melikuziev. I think he's awesome. I think Bivol brings in a whole lot of uh, interesting subjects because he's so yeah. well, poker face. Speaking of, he just, he just actually gave an interview to Eddie. Well, he was speaking to Eddie Hearn and he was giving some you know, bits on, on, uh, on Instagram. His English is improving so much right now. He's, he's becoming very, very fluent in it. So... <laughs> from all the boxers, actually, he's the best in English right now. From all the Russian but, but he he understands. He understands yeah. that in order for him to, and you know, now that he's walking into the heavyweights, where we have Dante Wilder, AJ, and obviously the big guy Tyson Fury, in order for him to really establish his name in America, because mm-hmm. let's face it, you could be Kubra Pulev, and yeah. you could be an Olympian and a crazy uh, whatever. Yeah, but. If you don't speak English, America is where we create those stars. Yeah. So that's, you got to speak English. You know, and that's, that's basically, and I've been talking to my previous guests about that as well. And that's always fascinated me because I've been around uh, Russian speaking boxer for a couple of years now. And yeah, you're like, how do you make this boxer TV friendly for an American audience? You know, when they don't speak English and it, it all goes back to language. You have to, you have to learn English. You have to, or you have to somehow adapt this boxer so that he can promote himself or herself uh without speaking you know much english something it's like a huge challenge how do you because there's so many people right now from eastern europe you know and central asia coming to uh coming to america basically to achieve that success in boxing because they see what other people are doing here but then they understand like okay being a great athlete unfortunately is not enough in professional boxing you have to be a good tv you have to provide entertainment and you have to make sure that the audience is associating themselves with you and with your experiences and it's so hard to translate you know no pun intended personality yeah to translate personality exactly so yeah that's a huge challenge and I'm, I'm, i'm constantly thinking about that and how can how can we improve that and and when i translate for a boxer i actually 
which some people make fun of me, but a lot of people like actually like it. I actually put some passion as well. You know, when they say something, I, I say it with passion because I also understand what it, it, it entails and what context it has with, uh, you know, with the future and the past. Um, just to make sure that, you know, and Russian is such a cold language. There's no emotion when you speak in Russian. You know, it's depends, but like in general, it's a colder language. And like Bivol right now, he's speaking good English, but he's speaking English how he would speak Russian. And I'm talking American English, especially American English, because American English is, is all very like happy-go-lucky, you know, very showman <laughs> like in, in comparison to like, you know, British or New Zealand or something. So it's a huge challenge. But yeah, there's the, those little things you need to improve, you know. Yeah, but I, you know what? I, I think the passion comes through. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, uh, you know, referencing to the lack of language. Gennady uh, took a long time to feel comfortable doing interviews and allowing people to question him in English. And for him to respond, even though he understood most of what was being asked, he chose not to answer because he felt uncomfortable. Um, the same thing goes for Canelo. But what's the difference between Canelo and Gennady Golovkin? Canelo has made a brand out of the way he looks mm -hmm. and out of the way it, 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 almost his intro, introversion became his personality. Mm -hmm. The lack of speaking became his personality. His very mm -hmm. curt, very controlled MO became mm -hmm. his personality. Mm -hmm. Gennady, on the other hand, uh, made the fact that he wanted to appeal to the Mexicans so, you know, coming out with the Mexican sombrero and stuff, that was part of his personality, regardless of the fact that his English was not up to par. And obviously his Spanish is not there. Mm -hmm. But then we, we, we look at somebody like Floyd Mayweather, whose mouth became his persona, right. his uh, trash talking became his persona. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then we have the complete opposite, which is Tyson Fury. Tyson mm -hmm. Fury is all about personality, even though he just he can. I love I love how Tyson Fury does it. You know how he provides the showmanship. It's it's just so incredible. I, I love it. You know, and his Instagram live videos just He's so cool. Extraordinary, but but we come around these people once in a hundred. Yeah. The, I mean, we haven't had that since Floyd, mm -hmm. and before Floyd, it took a long time. I mean, those stars, I don't think. Uh, it's all about a hundred percent on steroids out there, be myself, take a risk and even push the envelope further. Right. And, and when you say, when you, when you say steroids, you mean figuratively? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, personality on steroids. Not, not, not at all. I, you know, I, I have, I have no clue either or if they've done it or not. This, it's not about the boxing athleticism or ability in the ring. It has more to do with the personality that right. they just go extra. Yes. Uh, and and sure. do we lose any of his personality when he tries to speak English? Of course. I mean, and, 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 and it's like with everyone, you know, when you're trying to convey something and it's not in your language, you're, you're pretty much relying, if, especially there's two things, right? Once you, you're trying to speak in the language that is not your own and, and you are, you know, not fluent in this, you know, so that you can actually express your emotions or your thoughts. That's one thing. And of course, you, 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 usually you would not be able to 
to completely convey what you're trying to say, what you're, what you're thinking. And another thing is if you're with a translator, you have to really rely on the way the translator uh, says certain things. So either way, whether it's him or any other boxer, whenever you say something like this, it's never, it's never 100%. But, you know, there's bits and pieces that you can gather. Um, but overall, you know... But one thing I've uh, encountered is that uh, Americans in general uh are very but in general mm-hmm. are very accommodating to foreigners in general yes uh, i agree I've, completely yes i've encountered other countries that are not that forgiving um that if you don't speak their language they're not very accommodating i think america for the most part and my personal experience uh, are very grateful to the fact that we as foreigners try to speak their language yeah. and are very forgiving if we make grammar mistakes, if we, in general, I mean, there's other people that might not agree. They mm-hmm. feel a bit offended, but mm-hmm. in general, um, and I've, I've experienced that with particularly Mexican fighters who mm-hmm. try to speak English mm-hmm. and even the reporters as they're questioning would help them get to the point that they're trying to make as they're, you know, stumbling and fumbling with words. So I, I think that's why America is a great breeding ground for any fighter, no mm-hmm. matter where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. This is the breeding ground of huge stars because of that. We're willing to follow the narrative that a translator is going to give us, follow mm-hmm. the soundbite, and maybe we begrudge the, and now as a reporter, we might begrudge the translator because... Right. My case, um, I want to. I want to feel the personality, like you said. Yeah. And you're one of those few people that would say things with the emotion that comes, uh, and and is we lose it because of the lack of understanding of their language. So right. that that gap, you are one of those few people that are willing to, you know, bridge it. So thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know how we made this podcast about me now, <laughs> but, but I but I appreciate that. And and yes, I completely agree that America is 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 very you know like a loving country in terms of they they they're forgiving. They love to hear you know you do mistakes and 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 that's what I actually said so many times to different boxers like yo like just say it man like don't worry about it just say it with a mistake. But a lot of not even Russian boxers but like foreign boxers they're always very cautious because again not everyone is so forgiving forgiving about language you know like I know in France for example everyone is like oh you don't speak French well or something like that. But oh uh, yeah I, I I was thinking about them but I chose not to say it because it, it they're very they're overzealous about their language it is a beautiful language and and beautiful, yeah. They, yeah and and, and you know what. Going back to personalities and, and, and stigmas, uh, yeah. I've encountered many Japanese fighters mm-hmm. that do speak English, but mm-hmm. because they don't feel they speak it 100%, mm-hmm. they will not speak it. They will, they will rather have a translator no matter Perfectionists. what. Perfectionists, yeah. Yes, very much so. And yet, whenever you have a, a Japanese term and you use it, mm-hmm. and you know, like basic thank you or excuse me, Mm-hmm. And they're so grateful that you're willing to, you know, expose yourself, but they're not. It's yeah. funny. They won't judge you. They judge themselves. Yeah. It's a cultural thing, you know, and, and another thing that I was suggesting one of the promoters is like, like if you're in Los Angeles, take an acting class in City College if you are in a foreign fighter. Because with the language comes also the attitude. 
and to to basically implement that attitude takes some some training to do and that's how i did it when i went to college i was i came to america when i was 17 i spoke english but i wasn't you know fluent in it you know i had to adjust so i had to actually take language classes when i when i came to the united states and uh the one thing that really helped me out besides just taking language classes is taking an acting class because they will, re- they will really sort of shake you out. You know, they shake you out of that, you know, cultural language barrier where you're just being like very like bumbling, like boo, 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 boo. This is how we do in Russia. This is how we speak. Uh, but that's when I was so, when I saw Dmitry Bivol speaking in English, I was like, wow, he's so amazing. Like he learned English so well in such a short time, but he still had that Russian pronunciation. And I was like, if someone could just like, hey, like, Get some ex- it, it takes exercises, right? You, you scream, like you yell out loud, you yell in the room, you know, getting out of your shell, like, ah, basically get, get that freedom, right? And that, that's how you basically develop that confidence when you speak. And, and especially because you do it in America, you're surrounded by Americans, your teacher is American, you know, or, you know, they speak Amer- American English is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind, kind of gets you more confidence because you now can understand like, hey, I can actually, you know, be very confident, open my mouth and just like yell, you know, because that's how American English is. It's just that loudness and confidence. And that's how I basically learned it through that acting class to be more confident in the way I speak. And I feel like a lot of boxers just need to take one class to just get out of that shell or maybe like get, get, get some sort of a tutor or something to, to get that confidence with the language as well. So that it's not only, you know, fluent English, but it's also like exciting English. And I totally agree. And the reason why I laugh is because I remember uh, I, was, I was 17 and I was living in Switzerland and I learned how to speak German and French. Oh, cool. And I speak, uh, yeah, so it, and I speak obviously English and Spanish. Uh-huh. And a friend of mine, a very dear, dear friend, she says, it's funny because you speak, you speak French and German and English. They, you speak all your languages in, in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and for, you know, I was 17, so I, 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 I said, hold on a second, what do you mean? Uh-huh. She goes, you are just as animated in right. French, in German, in English as you are in Spanish. It's like, it doesn't matter what you speak. You mm-hmm. speak all your languages in Spanish. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Coming. That's, it's getting like, as you said, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's why I like to listen to you on the zone because you have that energy, you know, that that Latin influence. And, and then I watched some marketers, marketologists, you know, marketing people, you know, the, the, the best of the best. And they, this is what they're saying is that that urban Latin culture is something that is, people still don't realize it right now, but on our market right now, it's, it's growing so huge and people are just, you know, craving for that content, for that influence, you know, that mixed with English. Uh, you know, we see it in like the popularity of Bed Bunny right now that, that their music or like Cardi B does that influence as well with Puerto Rico. It's just like we love it. It's, it's fun. It's nice, you know, and, I, and I've and I've spent a, like I'm, I'm from like I, I spent a lot of time in California and I was surrounded by, you know, a lot of Mexican people. You know, I lived with Mexico with a Mexican family for uh, for I think six years. And, and, you know, a lot of my friends are Mexican. And, and it's just like it's just that culture of 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 uh, uh, of just nice attitude and getting together and the family and the barbecue and, and just like those jokes and being loud. I feel like that's, that's something that's picking up really quickly in, in culture right now in the United States. So, I mean, it's funny that you say that because I've, uh, I've been hearing this since uh, 1996. Again, at the time it wasn't uh, very popular to be Hispanic. 
but I am glad to see that. I am very happy to uh, be part of a culture that's very embracing. Hispanics in general, we, everybody's family. We have a saying, uh, where two people eat, you can have eight. You just add more water to the soup. <laughs> uh, you, you know, everybody fits in one bed because that's how we were raised. You know, it's like we're all for one and one for all. It's, right. it's very embracing. Um, the Hispanic culture is happy, is faithful. Well, yeah, loyal. Uh, we're friends to, till death do us part. Everybody is, if you're not a cousin, you're a cousin to a cousin. So that makes you cousin anyway. I love my people. My people, we are happy. We are uh, giving. We are hardworking. And I think that, that re I think that's a great reflection of humanity. We try to be kind. We try to be fair. Uh, I mean, but like in everything, we, we have our downs and we have our faults. We're loud, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, being in Canada right now, I really miss that culture, you know, especially the Mexican culture, because, you know, it's just, it's with the food, with the, with the, with the music, you know, just with basically the attitude and the people, that's something that Canada is lacking in term, in that sense, like they, they like that, that party, that party attitude, you know, that, that positivity. And I mean, I love Canada. It's, it's great, but that's something that I miss from California is that, that Latin culture. <laughs> yeah, but you guys have a lot of Italians and Greeks and yeah, uh, and Portuguese people. Yeah, yes, they're, they're, we're all cut with the same. When I say Latins, yeah, I'm literally speaking the Latin root because when you okay. look at the Portuguese, at the Italians, at the uh, Greeks, uh, we all party just as hard, and we're just you know it's. I know it's just, it's just for me, it's for me, it's a sentimental value <laughs> oh, okay. because, because I just miss, you know, I just miss California. You just miss California. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Claudia, let's talk about the zone. Uh, tell me how that came about and uh, you know, were you excited to be there? And the zone is something new. I mean, they've been around for a while on the international scale, but they came to America, to the American market. I think in, in 2017, they did their, their announcements. How was that? Uh, for you and how did they approach you about your role? Um, I was fortunate enough to work with a gentleman by the name of Jason Bowers. I worked with him at Showtime. I helped him do a few interviews, among them a great interview with uh, Miguel Cotto mm -hmm. uh, because of, again, um, Hispanic descent. Um, right. Miguel really enjoy speaking English, even though he speaks English, but we lose something in mm -hmm. the translation. Uh, and, and then they started uh, developing their digital platform on Showtime, and I was part of a couple of productions. Mm -hmm. Then I became part of another production, so I had to walk away from that. But Jason and I kept in contact for, for years, and then when he was given the opportunity to take over the zone and start developing the property itself, uh, he approached me because again, he needed somebody uh, that could get interviews, could uh, field produce mm -hmm. and basically uh, do both interviews and the field production. And I, I, obviously I have the background plus the boxing background and I started doing Canelo. And mm -hmm. because I've been around for so long and I've known Canelo for the last 16 years, mm -hmm. it was easy for me to walk into a camp and sit down and have interviews. I did the mm -hmm. same with Rocky Fielding and so far and Gennady. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing led to another. I was also working for ESPN and I would do something called um, Golpe a Golpe, which is the coverage of uh, prize fighting pay-per-view, mm-hmm. you know, for HBO at the time and Showtime. Right, right. And- mm-hmm. So uh, as I was in one of the uh, fighter meetings, I, I met two gentlemen that were working in the zone and uh, I, I, I was looking at the rundown and I said, well, this fight is not going to go. Don't worry. You're not going to have problems because I know these fighters, you know, like the undercard mm-hmm. was whatever it was. So mm-hmm. I just, and then, and then I asked, I was talking to um, Katie about women's boxing and development. And um, mm-hmm. I, I was literally asked with my boss at ESPN right next to me. So, so what do you do? I go, I work for him. And I also work for Jason. I was literally having three jobs in one same fight. I was doing <laughs> digital for ESPN. I was doing the golpe golpe for uh, ESPN Spanish, the uh-huh. And then I was doing the field producing and the interviews. There you go. Diversify your income streams. Exactly. Thank you, <laughs> accountant. So yeah, it, I was taking advantage of being in the same place at the same time. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and they were baffled by, first of all, uh, my relationship with the fighters. And mm-hmm. then... Uh, Why? Because it was so close? They were like so trusting you? Yes. Um, I, I, I have been blessed with the fact that fighters do trust me. Mm-hmm. And uh, mainly because I respect the fighter. I respect mm-hmm. the person behind mm-hmm. the fighter. Mm-hmm. I respect the family and... You know, uh, when you're in that environment, you're privy to a lot of things mm-hmm. and you, you have to be able to discern the moment that you walk into a fight or you walk into a locker room or, you know, and I, I try to be very respectful of that. And, you know, um, you command respect as well. Like, I don't know if you have this, you instill this like interesting feeling. You're like, you're a cousin or something, you know, you're, I don't know, you're a friend. I don't know. There's this kind of a trusting thing about you, which I like, because I saw like, I'm not talking like even like right now that we speak, even though I feel it, but like, I saw you live. Like I, I talked to you, you know, I saw you, you know, talking to other people. There's that, you know, you demand that you command that respect, but it, in a good way, you know, you're like, oh, okay, like she knows what she's doing and I trust her and, 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 you know, that there's you create that weird connection that I that I really like and I feel like not a lot of people can do it. Thank you, and and I I I work on it. I I I allow people to come to me, and I open myself up to people, and uh, I but there's always that understanding that I I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna approach that person unless I have permission, and it's discernment. Uh, and it, it's, it's a very fine line, very fine line, because to be able to walk into somebody's locker room, like you and I know, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes they're in their underwear or they're with their wives or their children, they mm-hmm. don't want to be filmed. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's very difficult. It's a very vulnerable position for the fighter, the trainer, the promoter, and you do not want to just barge in. So mm-hmm. my job is to be able to do that. And make it as simple for them and for my crew. Because when I walk into a locker room, it's not just me. Mm-hmm. It's the lighting. It's the audio. It's the camera. Plus the assistant. I mean, it's four or five people walking yeah, into your space. So you need to be able to discern. And due to that, and that relationship that I, I've established with a lot of fighters, mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm always there. Mm-hmm. I, even when I'm not working, I try to go to the fights. And I try to go into the locker rooms. And... and uh, 
and 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 the gentlemen from the zone were amazed by the fact that I knew pretty much everybody's record by memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and now it's kind of starting to falter sometimes. Um, age, man. So <laughs> they, on, they asked on. me. You know, they asked me uh, my my job status, my situation, and and if I would be interested. And this was this was not a one day thing. This right. was an ongoing thing. Uh-huh. And slowly but surely, I was brought in. Uh, and and now I want to think that uh, I I know Todd Grisham from ESPN. I know Sergio Mora when he was a fighter, as he was mm-hmm. coming through uh, the uh, the ranks of of TV and how he became mm-hmm. uh, champion. Um, Mora is I, great. I, I I met him personally. Such a cool dude, and he worked so hard. You know, I we were talking in the lobby of the hotel, and and he would say something and then he would create some sort of a cool phrase and he has like a little little notepad. He would like write this down because like he does his homework. He's like preparing for like being on camera and speaking, you know, so he, he'll create some beat on the spot and he's like, oh, this is good. And he'll like write it down. So I really respected that. I was like, oh, he's really working on this all the time. All the time. He's, he, his work ethic is unparalleled. And the same goes as, as he was a fighter. Yeah. His work ethic was unparalleled. And he will be, he is perhaps, uh, honest uh he wears his heart in his sleeve and i and i adore that about him he's what you see is what you get inside mm-hmm. the ring outside the ring on camera off camera this is who who you'll meet on a regular mm-hmm. basis and the same goes for brian kinney the same goes for uh um Ruko. i mean i have a great boxing family and i can mm-hmm. say the same thing about my people at espn and my people at Univision, when Univision used to do boxing, and my people at Telemundo, boxing in general, we see each other on a regular basis. So the fact that uh, The Zone didn't know who I was, it doesn't offend me. Mm-hmm. It didn't offend me. And, and they were like, oh, maybe we should know who you are. I go, I don't know who you are. Why would you know who I am? <laughs> That's true. Really? No, one knew, no one knew The Zone at all before they actually. No. Yeah. So, so, you know, I never took it personally, and they allowed me to grow into the position I would like to see my position to, you know, develop at uh-huh. the zone. And hopefully once we get over this pandemic, we'll have, you know, more times to rumble. Mm-hmm. Is there, is it different to work for them rather than like, uh, than working for like an established network in the United States, such as ESPN or Univision? Because in my mind, I was like, they, I bet you they have like some sort of a startup feel where they're, like, they're developing and discovering everything on the go. or can you can you like maybe outline some sort of uh, maybe similarities or differences or maybe it's just like the usual the job you know as it is? Well, uh, the advantage that networks like ESPN and specifically Univision, Univision is broadcast, ESPN is cable, and then the zone is digital. So right. we're looking at three completely different animals. True, true. At the end is it's boxing, is boxing, is boxing. But mm-hmm. Univision is um, it has an advantage because they have uh, almost like a, a farming system. You mm. start in local, then you go into, when you get the opportunity, you start like expanding your wings and then you move on to the network. Meaning mm. you, you, you start as a reporter in the local, then you move on into like the beat writer for whatever or beat reporter for boxing, NBA, and Major League Baseball. And then slowly mm-hmm. but surely you make your way into being a, an anchor. Then mm-hmm. you become an, a, a reporter anchor for the network. And then you move on to the network. 
that would be like the, the progression. ESPN mm -hmm. has a very similar farm system because mm -hmm. though we do have uh, headquarters in Bristol, there's a main office in Los Angeles, there's another one in New York, we have another one in Mexico, and there's another one in Argentina in smaller bureaus in different countries. So mm -hmm. now we're not just looking at the American market, we're looking at a global market. Right. And uh, you, you kind of just work your way into your own credibility, your own branding. I mean, we, we, we talk about certain names that mean the no, the guy to go to for hockey, baseball, mm -hmm. NFL, boxing. You mm -hmm. have those people and those are honed through the system at ESPN. And then they get used on TV, broadcast, cable, international, because a lot of the program gets broadcasted in, you know, South Pacific Rim, um, right. England, Spain, you name it, Argentina, Mexico, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. The zone is the zone is the zone, meaning mm -hmm. there is no farming system. Mm -hmm. So by the time that uh, you're there, and especially in America, the zone is now becoming the house for boxing, mm -hmm. you should be at this point in time, the person you go to, to know, to learn something about boxing. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're, the talent they've brought in, in uh, Ryan Rucco, Brian Kinney, uh, Sergio Mora, Todd, these people have deep, deep roots in the sport for obvious right. reasons. We also have Sugar Ray Leonard. Mm -hmm. And then in the Hispanic market, we have... Um, just to name a few, uh, Romero, we also have uh, Jorge, and these are people that are less known because of the environment, but mm -hmm. because we work in the Anglo market, but we've had the likes of Jesse uh, Vargas as a commentator, um, and obviously people that are well recognized in both the Hispanic and the Anglo market. Mm -hmm. But since they don't have that farming system, they rely on their talent for credibility. So right. they, they, there's no leeway for somebody to show up mm -hmm. and not carry their weight. Right. And there's no, there's no opportunity to like start somewhere, you know, locally and then grew into something like more sophisticated and then becoming like on the, on the huge, going to the huge screen right away. So they, they rely on the professionalism right away. But I think it's because of the position that the zone is in right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it, time takes care of everything. Mm -hmm. Time will eventually allow uh, the established talent to be able to just be that and then create different talents and different lines of content through uh, a honing system for your talent. You, you, you'll mm -hmm. have, the way I see it is, you can't be covering a training camp in Bulgaria and England and the U.S. and Mexico when you only have one reporter. So you're going to have those local reporters go into those camps, do the interviews, right, right. and those will become the go-to guys when I want to talk about AJ, when I want to talk about Deontay Wilder, when mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about Tyson Fury. It will eventually evolve into that. Yeah, that makes because sense. Because the, the necessity for the content is there. So speaking about necessity of the content, you know, I'm just thinking like right now we are all in pandemic, you know, we are secluded to, to our own places and, you know, there's not much content uh, out there, you know, especially on networks and all sports networks because all the sports are, you know, de facto canceled. In your opinion, what should networks do to provide, uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, did, 
you get any sort of instructions or sort of like, um, you know, ideas to break, uh, to brainstorm, like, all right, you know, we are this network, we, we show sports, but there's no sports. What do we do about it? How do we keep, um, how do we keep our subscribers engaged? Oof. That has been the million dollar question. I've had uh, power conversations with Unanimo, which is the um, radio that I work with, the radio station. Actually, it's a digital platform. Uh Uh, And I've had conversations with ESPN where they've invited the talent to bring in ideas. And that's how I, uh, the CT Talks series was my idea. And uh, just because I'm using this opportunity where nobody's going anywhere to yes. literally call, Hey, what's up? How are you doing? Let's talk. Let's chat. That's what literally. I do right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because guess what? This is a time that nobody's doing anything. Nobody's going anywhere. So if you get entertained, even better. Yeah. So this is the opportunity that we can go into deep, deep conversations that would open doors to know that person a little bit better. Uh, or know things about that person that never fa- we didn't fathom. And that's my goal right now with uh, with you, such as uh, as my guest, to sort of do a deep dive in you and you personally and your personality and career. Well, thank you, thank you for <laughs> picking me. And yeah, and that's and that's because I'm I'm trying to provide that valuable content, and I feel like you know you're you're a TV personality and you have an interesting background, and that would be a, a great entertainment for everyone and also a learning experience. Exactly. So that's what networks are doing. Now ESPN is using their um, uh, ESPN Classics Vault mm-hmm. and we're watching games yeah, and yeah. fights. And, and that, older you know, fights, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but ESPN, ABC, they obviously have that uh, advantage where they have a deep, deep vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people like Oscar De La Hoya that owns his own fights mm-hmm. and his own content could, has given that to the zone. Mm-hmm. due to the contract. So we have opportunities to watch, you know, like Oscar against uh, Fernando Vargas, mm-hmm. Oscar against Tito Trinidad, uh, Oscar against Macho Camacho, you mm-hmm. know, the, and, and they're trying to benefit on that. And that's how you retain the audience right now, because mm-hmm. obviously we don't have much activity, except the China just opened its doors and they're doing baseball. Oh, and, okay. Uh, there's, uh, I think, uh, Belarus has its regular soccer league. It's yeah, Belarus, on- they don't care. I think they just outload the coronavirus altogether. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, okay, so I, I, I didn't confirm that information, but as far as I'm told by my friends in the news, the president of Belarus said, like, we're just not going to care. Corona, like, we don't, we're not going to stop working because of coronavirus so they're like a weird separate case <laughs> i don't understand it's like they put the walls and nothing is affecting them because you know i follow the interactive uh, map with uh-huh. uh, johns hopkins and that part of the world is like no dots zero dots uh, well yeah that's probably because they're just not reporting anything at all they're just like ah. <laughs> they're not even testing for that i'm gonna test for that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but you know what i was wondering is like i was wondering if like okay you know, the executives thinking like, oh, like this is something you, we weren't prepared for this. Let's make like, let's get our producers in the room, have a sit down and brainstorm because we don't know when this is going to end. And, and in my mind, I would, I would imagine this table, like round table and, and some, some sort of a, uh, the, the main person would say like, Hey, like any ideas, come on. It's the new age. It's the entertainment. We're in digital. 
you know, we cannot do physical sports, but we have bloggers, YouTubers, content, you know, because esports, esports, exactly. esports, exactly, esports, because I see that. Yes. So like all those things, I wonder if like they're like, okay, like because it's so uncertain, we have to have a plan for how to keep the, the viewers engaged and how to keep them watching. Like, I don't know. Do you think that's, am I, because I, I'm speculating, do, does that happen at all or how does this happen? Of course. Okay. Of course, except we don't sit in a, in a room anymore. It's <laughs> right, all video that's, that's true. That's true. So it's like a little, yes. little Zoom chat. Like Zoom. <laughs> yes. Uh, Yes, literally. Uh, at this point in time, I know a lot of executive producers and CPs, what we call coordinating producers, mm -hmm. are sitting around trying to figure out where are we, what do we have, and how are we going to make this work to bring it here. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm telling you, right now we're delving into esports. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, the gamers in general, mm -hmm. and how do we include our commentators? As a matter of fact, I don't know if you saw the new series where they had, you know, old timers, veterans facing. Is that um, the EWBSS? Yes. World Boxing Super Series. And there's like, you see uh, like Ali versus Tyson. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Exactly. I loved it, I loved it. I loved it too. And we had commentators doing that. So, oh, <laughs> it, so that, that is uh, an option that people are looking at. My mm -hmm. good friend, Eric Mays, he works in a, in a company that is developing tournaments. Oh, cool. Uh, yes, and oddly enough, it, the, the gamers uh, are not really even playing uh, sports, which uh -huh. is, you know, they're not playing basketball, they're not playing so uh, well, playing actually, Call of Duty. FIFA. Call of Duty, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Fortnite. Yeah. They're having tournaments for Fortnite. You and can't imagine how much money is in Fortnite right now, and like the prizes oh, yeah, yeah. are millions. It's crazy. A 13 year old made 5 million bucks. Oh, my God. Just ridiculous. But that's the day and age we're living. Yeah, and and thank God for that because uh, when we have uh, a shutdown in the industry across the board, so unemployment is in the rise, mm -hmm. it's, the money's got to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So be it to a 13-year-old or a 45-year-old or a 60-year-old, if they're a gamer and they're going to be – let me put it this way. A 13-year-old that's spending so much time in front of a computer playing a game mm -hmm. and not doing much might as well make money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and keep and keep whoever is involved in that entertained. So we're killing two birds with one shot. Exactly. We have we have all this population right now just gaming and gaming and gaming. And so yes. and I'll tell you, like a lot of people love watching gaming streams, just watching how other people play games. And did you know that there's gamer houses? Uh no, what is it? Okay. So exactly what you just said. So they have a whole bunch of you know, however many people in one house. Uh -huh. And it's it's like gamer uh, fantasy world. They can play anything everywhere, and it's live streamed. And then they stream their game with somebody, let's say, in Miami, and they're uh -huh. playing with somebody in Taiwan, uh -huh. and it's being streamed on their computer and on the house. It's like a Big Brother gamer version. Nice. Wow, that's extreme, but... <laughs> but that... I, that's another way of making money. So yeah. they're streaming the tournament as being watched within the house and mm -hmm. streaming the tournament on the computer, mm -hmm. you know, and they follow whoever's in that game. And obviously whoever loses, you know, it's like, I guess, simple elimination. You get and kicked out of I, the house. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You That's lose, awesome. you're done. 
No, seriously, this is just the beginning. I'm seeing a lot of brands buying the rights to like stream Call of Duty or like investing in Call of Duty game itself or the or the platforms, you know. Uh, yeah, so I I feel like that'd be a great way to you know feel that spots with with contents like this because people would love to watch it. In other things, I was thinking, take like a boxer right now. I don't know Canelo, and uh, I don't know if he plays like PlayStation or whatever, but like. Let him play something and stream on Twitch. I would watch that. Or like play, exactly. Or like actually play Mortal Kombat Canelo versus some other fighter. And just like see who is we like I'd watch that thing like all day all day long. <laughs> Which is exactly what my friend Eric Mays is doing with his own company. He's bringing in, you know, high profile people, especially mm-hmm. athletes, mm-hmm. and have them play. And he was the one that gave me the inside where uh, you know, like Shaq, he loves playing games. Yeah. Uh, you know, retired basketball players, but oddly enough, they won't play basketball. They yeah. will play uh, Mortal Kombat. They'll play. Why is a grown man playing uh, Fortnite? I don't get it. I'm telling you, a lot of a lot of girlfriends and wives are asking the same question right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it I, I really don't get it but it's amazing to see it's the competition i feel like it's that competitiveness i agree and yeah. and moreover i think it's uh human's ability to adjust and mm-hmm. to just work with what we have um this is definitely not the first pandemic mm-hmm. this is the we hope this would be the only pandemic this generation has to live mm-hmm. but in every single pandemic great things have come out of that Mm-hmm. Great thinkers have evolved. Great ideas have surged. So, um, if esports are going to replace sports, mm-hmm. Houston, we have a problem. You think? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm just hoping that they can live in the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Because nothing, in my very old school way of looking at things, nothing will replace the smell of leather of a glove or the smell of the fresh cut grass in a pitch yeah. or the smell of, you know, I hate to say it, but tar in, in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that smell of, 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 of the wood in a, in a basketball court. Mm-hmm. Those things can never be replaced. The smell, the, 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 how, how it sounds of a beautiful swung hit. Mm-hmm. And, and you just, you know, that. That's a different kind of emotion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I, you know, I, as you said, we're probably not there yet, but people are, are starting to get concerned whether how are we going to, you know, how are we going to get together to, to watch a basketball game? Is it going to be the same? We don't know yet, but, you know, we'll see how it's going to develop. We will. Yeah. I have faith. I hope so too. So, uh, Claudia, what what are we gonna ex- what what should we expect from from your series on YouTube? What kind of content are you planning to post, and uh, uh, when do we expect to see it? Well, um, I want to talk to you about uh, somebody like Manny Robles. Do you remember Manny Robles, the trainer? Uh, yes, yes, I, I saw the video as well. Okay, so Manny, uh, he's a carpenter, and mm-hmm. he shared with us. Mm-hmm. A little bit of what he does in his house and all the projects that he didn't do for years uh-huh. because he was training and he trained somebody like uh, uh, John Reese. I also have um, 
who else do I have in line? I have a few trainers. I need to mm-hmm. talk to a couple of fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Banks, which who oh, you nice. know very yeah, well. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, great guy. And a very soulful gentleman who's a very, uh, oddly enough, as a fighter uh-huh. and as a trainer. As a fighter, he was brutal, heavyweight brutal, trained right. by Emmanuel Stewart, the sure, one and yeah. only. And as a trainer, he's grueling, but he knows how to mold his fighters and he knows how to adjust to the fighters of the, uh, the needs of the fighters. Mm-hmm. But he's a very soft kinded person. And I don't mm-hmm. think many people get a chance to see that. Very, very spiritual too. Um, wow. So that's, I, I, that's so cool. It is. I, yeah. I get a chance to share that with everybody that's going to see the series. And I'm looking forward to learning uh, in this journey about them and taking lessons, their life lessons, make them my life lessons. Right. Because like I said, we're in the middle of a lifestyle reset. We're Mm -hmm. resetting all our beliefs or our thoughts. Everything we thought was real. Guess what? It's not. Right. Things are changing and we have to live in the moment. Yes. Thank you. See, like you're having a great time right now in Canada and you're living the life. It's, I'm almost embarrassed to say how great of a time I'm having lately with, with my podcast and speaking to such incredible people like yourself. It's, 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 it's sort of a blessing, which is weird to say in these uncertain times. But the fact that the technology allowed me to speak with you like this, I think it's just incredible. Enhorabuena. That means congratulations. And you should enjoy every minute of it because you know what? You've worked hard for it. Thank you so much, Claudia. Claudia. You're very welcome. How can people find you? Uh, where can they go to uh, find more information about you? You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. I, I, I think I need to make that public. Uh, and YouTube, my YouTube channel. I'm in the process of putting my uh, website together. That has proven to be very challenging because I'm technically challenged <laughs> in that sense. So maybe I should talk to you about that. I would love uh, to help. Yes. And I'm in the middle of uh, developing that. Uh, I think uh, this is a great opportunity for us old schoolers to uh, get acquainted with the new world and the new way of doing things. And I'm taking advantage of that time. But in the meantime, social media, I'm very active. And, you know, just stay in touch. I, I'm going to send, if you, if you subscribe, you'll get all kinds of information from me. Definitely subscribe to Claudia Trejas on every social platform that you can find her on. Claudia, thank you so much. I had so much fun speaking to you and you gave me so much time of yours to, to basically dive into your career. And I, I have a feeling there's so much more that we can talk about, maybe for, the, for another time. But for now, Absolutely. I thank you. I thank you so much. I thank you and thank you for your time and stay well, be healthy. And I'll see you on the other side, I promise. See you on the other side.